This is the evening sermon from Hillcrest Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. Pastor Gary W. Custis is preaching. For more information on Hillcrest Bible Church, please visit our website at hillcrestbible.org. When we become Christians, one of the things we delight in is the blessings of, of the Christian life. And uh, we, I think, would all say it is uh, a wonderful privilege, it's a wonderful blessing to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to live the Christian life. And we had an option, we'd say, there's no other life I want to live other than the Christian life. I know who God is, I know who I am, I I know what truth is, I know what uh, ethics and morality are, I know because I'm in Christ, and because of the blessings that I have. But the Christian life is also very challenging, and it's uh, a struggle, it's even a battle. Uh, It's living in Christ, by Christ, for Christ, in an opposing world. Sometimes the persecution is passive. Sometimes the persecution is active. But always the opposition is present. And the world about us and the flesh within us and uh, Satan himself, who is in the spiritual domain, always thwart your every effort to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's wonderful when you turn to the Scriptures and and see that God has promised to finish the work that He has begun in each one of us. And He is 100% successful in that. We look at uh, this world and we say, you know, it's amazing that even one person would be sanctified or one person would be glorified. But the truth is, that God sanctifies and glorifies all of us, all of his people, and he never fails, not even once. Well, the Christian ministry is also challenging, and there are many opportunities to get discouraged with the work of evangelism. The natural man uh, regards the gospel message as foolishness, and um, does not, uh, by nature, receive it. And those who proclaim the gospel are sometimes ridiculed and rejected. And often the work of evangelism appears like plowing hardened soil and planting seeds. It's more like plowing than it is reaping a plentiful harvest. Simply stated, evangelism is is hard work. It's impossible work, humanly speaking, only made possible by the love and the grace and the power of God. But what is encouraging to us is the promises of the Lord and, and Scripture itself. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel of the message. We are not to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to see our own weakness and our own inability, but to see God's power and His strength. And to see and to depend upon the Lord and always to press on. God is still at work. God is uh, always accomplishing His purposes. And as long as we are here, we know that God is saving and sanctifying. He is saving sinners by His presence and power in and through our lives. And that's the hope that we have. And again, I'm, I'm always thankful when you come to the Word of God that the Bible tells you the truth. And... Uh, this passage we're looking at in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 
is one of those passages where the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. And uh, you say, well, shouldn't uh, Paul just be writing triumphantly about everything that is taking place and uh, just be on the up and up every time he speaks? And the answer is the Apostle Paul and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit direct God's truth to the reality of our situation. And it's not an encouragement to be discouraged or to be um, uh, to see the, the weakness of our endeavor. But it's an encouragement to know that God is, sees us in uh, the place where we are and He encourages us. When you think of Second Timothy, always remember this. Paul is writing from a Roman prison. And um, if tradition is correct, it was shortly after the writing of this epistle uh, where he was executed. And he is writing to Timothy uh, because he's concerned about Timothy. And uh, humanly speaking, he is concerned because uh, uh, it, uh, he perhaps knows and he perhaps has heard that Timothy is discouraged. And so he, he writes him this epistle, and it's an epistle that is written to all of us to encourage us in the, in the face of discouragement. And uh, the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit are really masters at uh, encouraging us in the Christian life. We need encouragement. You need encouragement. And uh, that's what you find when you turn to Scripture. So I want us to look at, at verse 7. But the context I'm going to read um, both before and when we come to the end but in verse 7, it's a, it's a very simple statement, and I'm going to go through and pick it apart a little bit. But it's, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's sort of the, 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 the pivotal statement on which this introduction kind of hinges. Because he begins by speaking of, of his concern. And, and notice um, he begins with this statement. You might say, well, this is sort of his typical kind of way of beginning an epistle. Um, but, but notice what he says uh, as this intro. And, and, and no part of Scripture is made accidentally or as an unimportant statement. But notice what it, Paul, how he introduces himself. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now Paul is in prison. And Paul could be saying... What in the world is the Lord doing with my life? I could be and I should be preaching the gospel message. I should not be here in this Roman prison. And uh, no prison is a comfortable place to be, but when you're talking about prison in these days, it would be a most uncomfortable place to be. Dirty, 
the food provision is probably limited. It would probably be dependent upon your family to bring you food, of which the Apostle Paul has no one. And it would be the Christian community that would be bringing him food at, at a threat to their own lives. It's just a very difficult kind of situation. And it's not Paul writing and saying, Paul to Timothy, man, if you're discouraged, I'm really discouraged. But he speaks of, of the high calling of, of what he's doing. And it's impressive, humanly speaking, to speak of your high calling when you're in a very low place. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. I'm an apostle because this is the will of God for my life. I'm here in prison because this is the will of God for my life. But I'm an apostle not because I chose to be an apostle. I'm an apostle because of the will of God. His choice for me. What he's doing in my life. And ever since the Damascus Road, the Apostle Paul is quite convinced that the pathway that he's on is set before him by the Lord, even in prison. He doesn't write and say, you know, I think God has forgotten me. I'm so discouraged. I I just, you know, I'm hungry and I can't sleep and the trials here are great and the abuse is great and the difficulties are great. I just, where is God in all of this? Instead, it's Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing has faded for him. Affliction is, uh, and the word even for affliction is a word that that means a a weight that is pressing down upon you. It's a very appropriate word. It's just what affliction feels like. You feel like you're just under this heavy burden and this weight is just pressing down. But the pressing down upon the Apostle Paul brings him to the astounding truth related to his calling and who he is and what his hope is of life. And the affliction cannot press, I think Satan often attempts, to squish the life out of you. Instead, of it squishes the life into him. So that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and, and Christ Jesus the Lord. That's, that's, he's done this. He's doing this for me. My prayer is that he will also grant you this. And then in, in verses 3 through 5, he affirms Timothy. He says um, kind things about him. He says his desire to see him. Notice the gentle way in which he approaches the encouragement of, of, of Timothy. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. I'm praying for you, Timothy. Know that you're in my prayers. Nighttime, daytime, I hear in prison, have lots of time. Night and day, I'm praying for you. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. You know, when Paul and Timothy were together, it was a joyous occasion. And uh, perhaps in the parting, there were tears and, and sorrow and sadness and, 
And uh, when you parted with the Apostle Paul, you weren't quite sure whether you'd ever see him again in this life, nor that he would see you. But here's this, this, this wonderful encouragement. Greatly desire and be mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. The genuine faith that is in you. The, the, the without, without any kind of, of falseness to it. That is, which dwells first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. So I'm praying for you. I think about you with the, with the, the joy of the last parting that we had and, and, and the joy of being with you. And, I, and I'm confident, the Apostle Paul says, that, that your faith is the, is the real faith. It's, it's genuine. It's in your mother's and your grandmother and persuaded it's, it's, it's also in you. So I'm not talking now to you as someone who has walked away from the faith. That's, that He makes that very clear from the, the very beginning. There's a difference between being discouraged and departing from the faith. He says, I'm dealing with you, Timothy, because of your discouragement. Because you need to be encouraged. And it has to be encouraged for the Apostle Paul to write to him and say, I'm I'm quite sure that in the face of all the trials and difficulties that you're going through, that your faith is a genuine, it's, it's, it's the real faith in Jesus Christ. I'm persuaded of that, he says. None of the things that the Apostle Paul heard caused him to doubt Timothy's relationship with God, the hope that he had in Jesus Christ. And then he gives them a, a really what, what might be called a call to revival. Because in, in verse 6 he says this, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, sometimes you can read Scripture and, and say, well, there you have it. He's calling him to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. The, the difficult question in, in reading Scripture oftentimes is not what it says and what it means, but how to do it. Because you look at this and say, first off, did, did the Apostle Paul give a spiritual gift to Timothy? And the answer is no. No, he doesn't have the power or the authority to dispense spiritual gifts. That power and authority is with Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit. And so it is God who gives gifts. So the laying on of hands is not the giving of gifts, but the Apostle Paul laid hands on Timothy because he recognized the gift that God had given to him. And he recognized that he was gifted in ministry and gifted for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ and ministering for uh, the church of Jesus Christ. So he says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. How do you stir up the gift of God? How do you, and and some of the translations have you, kindle afresh? How how do you kindle afresh to stir up the the gift of God? And, And the answer to that is, you go back to God. You go back to Him. It's His gift. And you come before God and you say, God, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged, he could say, in, this, in the work of evangelism. This work of evangelism that Timothy is involved in is, is involved in evangelism among pagans and committed pagans. So if you want to talk about a, 
a, a hard crowd to minister among. That, that would be a very difficult crowd, and it would be very easy to become discouraged with the ongoing ministry among that kind of, of people who are not just um, walking away, but they're committed to walking away. They're committed to their paganism. He says, kindle afresh the gift that is in you. And again, I think this is a reminder of, of the abiding in Jesus Christ. You, you go back and you continue in the state in which you are. You are in Him, He is in you, and He has gifted you. And sometimes you come before Him and you say, Lord, I trust that, that the work that you're accomplishing in me, that you will continue to accomplish. And I walk forward knowing that the Apostle Paul, as Timothy would say, has affirmed that I indeed have this gift. And I need you to, you to stir it up in me. It's very difficult for the, Timothy to stir up his own heart when he's discouraged. It's one of the difficult things. If you ever come across someone who's discouraged and you say, Hey, be encouraged. They go, Well, that was very helpful. Thank you very much. If I could do that, um, then I wouldn't be discouraged, would I? And it, it's much better to give the means by which we're encouraged than simply to say, Stop, and saying stop being discouraged is a good thing to say as well, but it's also important to say, how do you do this? And, and to kindle afresh the, the, the gift that is in you is, is, is really to go before God and say, I am discouraged, and I need your support. I need your strength. I need your presence, and I need your power. And I am walking in the truth. And... If anybody knows how to kindle afresh the gift that was in him and the calling that was in him, it's the Apostle Paul. That's what he did in the first opening verse. He said, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Here in prison, I'm an apostle by the will of God. He tells himself the truth. He tells him the truth of God. I have the, the, the promise of life, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. Here I am in this place because this is where God has placed me as an apostle with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. This is, this is who I am. And so you go before God and you call upon Him to affirm what He is doing in you. So the gift was granted by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus Christ, His victory upon the cross. And so Timothy is to, is to look and say, who am I in Christ? And I am to abide in the one that I am in Christ with the gifting that he has granted to me. So then in verse 7 he says this. He says, verse 6, I therefore remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you laying on of my hands. For, the reason I'm telling you, for God has not given us this is why you can stir up this gift. Because it, God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you want to take this verse in two parts, it's, that's, that's the, what God has not given us. But then, but what He has given, but God has given us, if you want to put the sentence together, God has given us a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And this word that's given means to, to, to give completely. God hasn't, hasn't given you in, in full measure the spirit of fear. And this is a, the word that's used here is a word that means fear. It means 
and, and can be interpreted as cowardice, a lack of courage, faint-heartedness, and, and to look and say, I cannot do what God has called me. I, I cannot. It's a, it's a spirit of timidity. It's, it's cowardice. It's, it's, it's the courage. I, I, I have in my heart a failing courage. I, I, I am, I'm afraid. And Paul's saying, that's not, that's not what God has given you. That, that's not part of the gift. He has, uh, do you to stir up the gift? Let's, let's, let's call to mind what God has given and what He has not given. And part of the gift is not timidity. Part of the gift is not faltering. Part of the gift is not seeing the challenge and standing back and standing away and saying, I, no, I cannot, I, I cannot give the gospel. I, I, I cannot. That doesn't come from God. That comes from our own heart and from our old heart that seeks to, to faint in the, in the face of, of difficulty. Now, the fact that God did not give this to Timothy doesn't mean that Timothy, nor that you and I, don't have this possibility in our hearts. We do. And when we look at our own resources and we look at the challenge of living the Christian life or engaging in, in the work of the, of the ministry, we can always look at our hearts and say, I cannot. I am overwhelmed. That's a real, very real part of, of our nature. It's just not the part of the gift that God has given to us. So you need to recognize what God is doing and what is our turning away from Him because our responsibility is to walk with our eyes fixed upon Jesus, with our eyes looking to God. And God is not giving us that fear. So when you are afraid, one of the things you can pray is, Dear God, thank you that you did not give me this fear. Thank you that you did not give me this timidity. That you did not give me a fainting heart. Thank you that that's not yours, but rather you have given me something else. And when I see these things, Lord, help me to see what you have given, not what I bring to the, as a, as a sinner, what I bring as a fallen human being to the, to the table of, of, of what you are serving. And, and I, help me to stand in, in what you give. So what is it that he has given? Well, it says here in the text three things. And Paul emphasizes these three, three things. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given us. I'm including the part of that sentence again. But what God has given us is power and love and a sound mind. Power. When God gives us power, He indeed gives us power. But He doesn't just give us raw power. He gives us personal power. So what do you mean by personal power? If God simply gave us raw power, we would use it to do all kinds of things. For example, if we had the power to do miracles, can you think of all the ways you would do miracles in your life? I can. You know, you come to some task that you have to do and you'd say, be done. And the task is done. That would be great. And we say, oh, that, that went well. If you have a house to clean, you say, be clean. It's clean. 
So that's nice. Or some great, if you're planting something, planting a garden, say, be planted. It's planted. If we had the power to do miracles, it would be amazing to see the things that we would do. But God doesn't give us raw power. What God gives us is personal power. In other words, He gives us the power of His presence. And with His power comes His person, which means He also brings His will. He also brings His his mind, His timing. The power of God is not for us to utilize as, as we wish, but... We, he brings Himself with the whole. And that's why it's important to understand the Holy Spirit. It's important for any number of reasons, but it's whole, very important to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just a power. God didn't say, I'm going to give you power, and I give you this power, and you can do whatever you want with it. But rather, we have power by the presence of God. And that also means He brings His mind, He brings His will, He brings His timing, and um, He brings His power. So the power of God that He has, has given to us, He has indeed given to us. And that is the power to live the Christian life. It is the power to engage in Christian service and Christian ministry. It is the power to serve. It's, it's His power that is granted, granted to us. And so He's not given us fear. He's given us power. And that power is to be utilized, Timothy, in the place where you are. Paul in the place where you are. Is the power of God still to be utilized in a Roman prison? The answer is yes. Is it to be utilized in ministry in a pagan environment? The answer is yes. And God has given us power, and it's, it's wonderful to know that when you engage in the work of the ministry, the work of the ministry, whether you're talking to people or however that ministry you engage in, it is not traceable to your strength and power to be effective. It is, it's, it's, you're a witness of the truth. You're a martyr. You're a witness of the truth. And you witness God's truth, and it is God who has the power to accomplish His purposes. And God has not grown weak, and God is not tired, and God is still accomplishing His purposes. And He has given that, that power to us. That's part of what the apostles needed to carry out their ministry. It's like Jesus Christ says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait there. I don't want you to do anything or go anywhere without the Holy Spirit. Because you don't have the resources to accomplish what you need to accomplish. If the apostles simply said, we have seen the resurrected Savior, and we go forth and we proclaim the resurrected Savior in a lost world, Christianity would have died out in the first century. It would never would have gone anywhere. Because Christianity is truth religion, it's also power religion. Because it's heart religion. And life religion. And it is the glory of God religion. But it's this truth that, that God has to impart to hearts. You need the power of God. And in writing to Timothy, he says, Yo, don't be faint-hearted. You have the power of God. And when you witness, it's not Timothy out there flailing away in the field of human endeavor in a wicked and dying world. It's Timothy, the one who is called to ministry, the gifted one, believer in Jesus Christ, who goes forth with the power of God, with the presence of God. So it's going to be his timing. It's going to be his will. 
It's going to be His way. He's the person of power that comes to us. The second thing that he mentions in terms of of what God has given is God has given love. This is the word agape. And uh, if you've heard me talk about agape love, I always like to talk, take the word agape love and pull it apart. I don't pull it apart. Scripture pulls it apart. What theology does is you take a word or you take a truth and you pull it apart and you see the component parts and then you let go of it and all, again, I love to say this, and it snaps back together. I've never seen that theologically speaking, but I'm just telling you that's what happens when you take a word like love and you pull it apart. What do you see when you pull love apart? I know you see four things, and you can see them in John 3.16 with reference to God, because it is God who defines love. This is His love. This is the kind of love that has to be defined by God only. But it's unconditional love. It's not based on what He sees in us. It's not based upon, oh, we're nice people, or we have p- potential. There's potential in that person. I think I'm going I'm to go and work in them because they have potential. He looks at us and we are sinners and we're in disobedience to him and we're lost, blind, and dead and there's nothing appealing about us. And he doesn't love us because of what he sees in us. He loves us from his heart. That's comforting. Because you know if God loves us from his heart that that love will keep coming. So it's unconditional. It's purposeful. It always seeks our greatest good. It doesn't seek our kind of good. You know, when God saves us, He doesn't say, I'm going to save you. You're in heaven. You know, just be in heaven. That, that's all. I don't want to see you again. I don't want to talk to you again because you are a bad sinner and you just need to be off in a corner somewhere. But just don't, don't ever come around me again. But I just be thankful you're here in heaven because I saved you and that's enough. And we'd go, okay. But that's not enough because when you get to heaven, He says, come, come sit on the throne with me. I, I want you to... It's like a, I think of... Bob Nelson entering into God's presence. What an amazing thing. And, and, and to enter into God's presence and for the Lord Jesus Christ to, to welcome him for, and to and, and say, come and, and sit upon the throne with me. Come, come here. You are my son. And, and, and you are now in my glorious presence. And you have yet to be glorified in body, soul, and spirit. But, you, but come. And he receives him. This is, a, this is an amazing transformation that goes from the sickbed into the very presence of Jesus Christ. But that's because of this, this love of God that is purposeful. And it's God's purpose not just to save us, but He says, I'm not going to save you, just save you. I'm going to make you my child. I'm going to make you my son. I'm going to give you the same inheritance that, that Jesus Christ has. I'm going to make you to be like Jesus Christ. You'll have the same kind of glorified body that He has. You will not be God. You will be like God, as close as that can possibly be. It's amazing. It's amazing what God does for us, but that's because His love is purposeful. And His love is sacrificial. There's a third aspect, unconditional, purposeful, and sacrificial. Because the love of God is not a love that says, I'll do half of you to half. I'll sacrifice my part if you'll sacrifice your part. It goes all, Jesus Christ goes all the way. He accomplished the whole of our salvation on the cross. It's not like he accomplished 95% of it and we're responsible for five. Jesus Christ said, it's finished. It's complete. The work is done. And the sacrifice is completely His. And then lastly, it, it never fails. Love never fails. You can go to 1 Corinthians 13 and see love, God's love never fails. The, the, the famous chapter of Scripture that speaks of the love 
the love of God and, and the way love functions. It never fails. It keeps going and going and going because it's unconditional, it's purposeful, it's sacrificial, it's eternal. It just God's love is forever. I think in this passage when he talks about the love, he's talking about all those aspects, but I think there's sort of an emphasis, an emphasis on the fact he has given you a love that never fails. He has set his love upon you. He has put love in your heart. And this love that never fails is, is what carries you along in the ministry because when God loves us, he gives his love in our hearts that we may love one another with a love that never fails. Wow, that's just tremendous. He says that's part of the gift. That's what part God has given. He's given you power. His presence with power. He's given you this love that never fails. He's seeking your greatest good. He loves you unconditionally. He sacrificed for you. He's going to talk about that as the passage ends. But all of this is, you know, this, everything that's happening to you, Timothy, you're in, the, in the, the, the eye of the love of God. You're in the center of the storm about you, and the calm in the middle is the, where you stand in the love of God. And He is the one who gives you a love for the pagans who are out there that you're ministering to. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. This word means, uh, it's an interesting word, but it it means uh, to have self-discipline, self-control. But it's more the the discipline of self, the power to keep oneself in hand, free from emotion, free from hesitation. God has granted us that as well. Included in this is the knowledge of, of what to do and what not to do. He says, Timothy, God has not just given you some spiritual gift and you're to go in your own strength to accomplish this spiritual gift, but you know what God has, has given you is, is along with this is not the spirit of fear, but He's given you the power, He's given you love, and He's given you the, the self-discipline to continue. And if you read this, this passage, if you read First Timothy and Second Timothy, there's a great deal about the discipline of living for God. The self-discipline of living for God. Because Christianity is really the, 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 the provision of God. There's a passive aspect of the Christian life, but there's also an active pursuit of the Christian life as well. And you have to have, have both, and both of those come by the power and the strength that God gives, all by God's grace. But this word refers to that, that discipline. He says, Timothy, you have the power of God. You, you have, you're the focus of the love of God, and God has granted you His love, and now you have this the, 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 the discipline that God gives you. This, this is part of what He gives you to be disciplined in the pursuit of ministry, in the pursuit of holiness. That also is God's gift. Don't think discipline comes from your fallen heart. Discipline comes from your mighty God, and He gives it to you. So we look at this and we say, Paul is writing to Timothy to really encourage him. And to encourage him, he focuses in, he gives a little bit of a word of testimony as he comes to the end of this introduction, I should say, the end of the introduction. But in verses 8 through 11, having said what, what God has given him, you see how this is, 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 is 
a word of encouragement that he then gives to Timothy, but with special sense of, of this not being ashamed, not being ashamed, not being fearful. So look at verses 8 through 11. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord and the whole of God's word, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And then he speaks of the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ to abolish death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So now he's speaking about what God has done. And what's so, uh, a great encouragement to us in discouragement is to see the resources that God gives to us plus the work that God has accomplished for us who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The Apostle Paul bore witness to this truth in death. That's why the word martyr, we think of it a martyr as someone who is killed because they are a Christian or they're killed because of their faith. But the word martyr really means, it means to, to witness, to, to witness your faith and to witness your faith unto death. A martyr is a witness of the power of God and the presence of God and, the, and, the, and the, a witness of the willingness to die for the truth because the truth is the truth who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When the Apostle Paul was executed, he was executed with the conviction that God is faithful. He is executed with the conviction that Jesus Christ defeated death and that what was before him is life. And willing to engage in and to suffer persecution even unto death as a witness of the power of God and of the love of God, and of the sound mind, and the, the, the discipline that, that God gives. And to witness that what God gives and what He has accomplished is, is the truth. And he says, Timothy, don't ever get your eyes off of this truth. Don't ever get your eyes off of what Jesus Christ has done. That's what's such a great encouragement when you are discouraged, is to see what God has given to you, and see what Jesus Christ has done for you, that finished and great work. And then Paul gives his testimony, and he says, in verses 11 and 12, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day. Now, you can look at this statement and say, well, was the apostle Paul stronger than Timothy? And the answer to that is no. The Apostle Paul is made out of the same stuff that Timothy is made out of. We all have our differences in the way in which God has made us. We're all unique human beings. But there's no one who has uh, greater uh, resources spiritually because our resources spiritually are granted to us as our personality as well as granted to us by God. What we have, we have received. And he says, I'm not ashamed in fact, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed unto him until that day. 
the, the focus of, of our assurance and the focus of our encouragement is in the Lord. And when you get your eyes upon the Lord and that which He has done and that which He has called you to do and the work that you're, He's accomplishing in, in living the, the, the Christian life, when you get your eyes upon the Lord, you get your eyes upon the one who's accomplished that work. And when you start rejoicing that He's the one who defeats death, He's the one who gives life. And whatever is before us, it is the Lord who grants us these great blessings. And He never fails. And He never stops. And Paul says, as if he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I don't know all the circumstances that you may be going through, and I don't know all the difficulties, but one thing I know is here I am in a Roman prison. And I can testify that I am persuaded. I'm just persuaded. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He is the anchor that is in heaven that holds the ship of my life. And I'm being drawn into the harbor of his love and of his care. And he's drawing me. And I know that the anchor never fails. And I know that I belong to him. And I know that the work he has accomplished for me, he has accomplished for me completely. So God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when we get discouraged, as Timothy was discouraged, we can read this final epistle, Paul's final epistle, in which he writes as one who is persuaded in light of all the difficulties that have befallen him and all of the persecution that he has endured. And the Apostle Paul had uh, numerous instances to be a martyr a witness for Jesus Christ in the face of great affliction. But he comes to Timothy and he comes alongside him as a, as a faithful and loving friend. And he comes to him and he says, Timothy, recall who the Lord is. Recall who, what the Lord has done. And recall what the Lord has given to you. He's not given you this spirit of fear. If you're fearful, that comes from you. That comes from something else. It comes from taking your eyes off of the Lord. But fix your eyes upon Him and be encouraged at the work that He has accomplished and the work that He's continuing to accomplish in your heart. And the same thing is true for you. And the same thing is true for me. God is at work in you. When God has not lost sight of you, He will never fail you. His love for you is based upon the love that is in His heart. And He's always purposeful in seeking your greatest good. And he sacrificed himself to do so. And he never fails. His love never fails. So we can read this passage and say, well, I certainly would love to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul that had my name on it. It doesn't have the same ring to it. To the second epistle, Paul, to the Apostle, to Gary. It just doesn't have this. Timothy has a much better ring, doesn't it? Or you put your name there. But that's really what he's writing to. Because the encouragement that, that Timothy would find in Jesus Christ is the same encouragement that you and I find in Christ. And let us keep our eyes fixed upon him. As those running a race with our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We have a great hope in him. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we freely admit that it is easy for us in this world to become discouraged. We look at the church, 
of Jesus Christ in America today, and we say, what is happening? What is happening to the gospel message? Is it going forth? What is happening to the godliness and the, the devotion of your people to you? What, what is taking place? And of course, we are not a good measure. We just look at what we hear and what we see, and, and we can wonder and say, well, what, are, what are you doing, and what is taking place, and, and what is to become of us, and what is going to happen? But Lord, when we uh, can become fearful... We also look at the promises of, of what you have done. You are the one who has defeated sin and death at the cross. You are the one who has saved us by your grace. You are the one who has equipped us for life and for ministry. You are the one who sustains us day by day. You are the one who has provided your presence and has placed us in union with you. And you are the one who has given us great and mighty promises that never fail. And so, Lord, when we look at our world and then we look at you, we are overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed with what you do and what you've accomplished for us. So help us, like the Apostle Paul, to be persuaded. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that you are able, Lord God, you are able to keep that which we have committed unto you against that day. Lord, we have a great God, and we rejoice in you, and we rejoice in the work that you're accomplishing in and through our lives, and pray for your blessing to be upon us. Help us to be, go forth into this world and be faithful in living for you, and be faithful in witnessing, being martyrs for you in this world, faithful unto Jesus Christ, because what we have in Christ is greater than whatever this world has to offer. So we thank you for the blessings. We thank you for all that you've accomplished for us. We thank you that you keep us. Your love never fails. We rejoice in Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the evening sermon at Hillcrest Bible Church. In addition to our website, hillcrestbible.org, you can follow us on Facebook under Hillcrest Bible Church or through Twitter under Hillcrest Bible. You can also subscribe to the sermon podcast on our sermons page or directly in iTunes.